Chapter Fourteen of the Second Latchkey. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Katie Gibney. The Second Latchkey by Charles Norris and Alice Muriel Williamson. Chapter Fourteen: The Test. Madalena had meant to go out that afternoon, but she changed her mind and stopped at home. I know what you've come for, she said, as she kept Connie's hand in hers. It was an effective way she had, as if contact with a person helped her to read the condition of that person's mind. Do you really? exclaimed Constance. Why, I... But you mean you've guessed what has happened? It's not guessing, it's seeing, answered the Countess. I'm in one of my psychic moods today. A prophecy of mine has come true? No, yes... "'Well, in a way you're right, in a way you're wrong. "'What is it you see? "'I see that you've lost something, probably last night. "'This morning I waked with the impression. "'I wasn't surprised when you telephoned. "'Now let me go on holding your hand and think. "'I'll shut my eyes. "'I don't need my room and the crystal. "'Yes, the impression grows clearer. "'You have lost something, but it is not a thing to care about. "'You're glad it's gone.' "'You are extraordinary,' Constance wondered aloud. "'Can you see what I lost, and whether it was Dick's or mine, or both?' "'His,' said Madalena, after shutting her eyes again. "'His, and he does not care much either. "'That seems strange, but I tell you what I feel.' "'You are telling me the truth,' Constance admitted. "'Now, go on. Tell what was the thing itself, and the way we lost it. "'I haven't seen that yet. I haven't tried.' Perhaps I shall be able to, in the crystal, perhaps not. I don't always succeed. But it comes to me suddenly that this thing isn't directly or entirely what brought you here. Right again, a witch, laughed Connie. I came to ask you to find out, you're so marvelous, why I didn't lose other things, which I really do value. The two women had been standing in the drawing-room, Lady Ansley Seaton's hands still in the countess's. But now, without speaking again, Madalena led her visitor into the room adjoining, which was fitted up much as the room at the Devonshire Hotel had been for her first séance. The seeress gave herself, here at home, the same background of purple velvet. The floor was carpeted with black and spread with black fur rugs. She was never without fragrant white lilies ranged in curious pots along the purple walls but in her own house the appointments were more elaborate and impressive than the temporary fittings she carried about for use when visiting. On her table was a cushion of cloth of gold, embroidered with amethysts and emeralds, the lucky jewels of her horoscope, and her gleaming ball of crystal lay like a bright bubble in a shallow cup of solid jet, which, she told everyone, had been given her in India by the greatest astrologer in the world. What was the name of this man, and when had she visited him in India, she did not reveal. They sat down at the table, she and Constance Ansley Seaton, opposite each other. Madalena unveiled the crystal, which was hidden under a covering of black velvet when not in use. At first she gazed into the glittering ball in vain, and her companion watched her face anxiously. It looked marble-white and expressionless as that of a statue, in the light of seven wax candles grouped together in a silver candelabrum. 
Suddenly, as it seemed to Constance's hypnotized stare, the statue face came alive. It was not the first time that Constance had seen this thrilling change. It invariably happened when the crystal began to show a picture, and so powerful was its effect on the nerves of the watcher in this silent, perfumed room as to give an illusion that she too could see dimly what the seeress saw forming in those transparent depths. "'A man is there,' Madalena said, in a low, measured voice, as if she were talking in her sleep. "'He is shutting a door. It is the front door of a house like yours. Yes, it is yours. There is the number over the door, and I recognize the street. It is Portman Square. He puts a latch-key in his pocket. How could he have got the key? I do not know. Perhaps I could find out, but there is no time. I must follow him. He is hurrying away. He carries a heavy traveling bag. A closed carriage is coming along, not a public one. It has been waiting for him, I think. He gets in, and the coachman, who is in black, drives off very fast. They go through street after street. I can't be sure where. It seems to be north they are going. There's a park. Regent's Park, maybe. I don't know London well. The carriage is stopping before a closed house in a quiet street. There is a little garden in front and a high wall. The man opens the gate and walks in. The carriage drives off. The coachman must know where to go, for no word is said. Someone inside the house is waiting. He lets the man with the bag into a dark hallway. Now he shuts the door and goes into a room. There is a light. The first man puts the bag on a table. It is a dining table. The other man, much older, watches. The first one takes things out of the bag. Oh, a great deal of beautiful silver. I have seen it at your house. And there are other things, a string of pearls and a lot of jewelry. He pours it out of a brown handkerchief onto the table. But still the second man is not pleased. I think he is asking why there isn't more. The first man explains. He makes gestures. So does the other. They are quarreling. The man who brought the bag is afraid of the older one. He apologizes. He seems to be talking about something that he will do. He goes to a mantelpiece in the room and points to a calendar. He touches a date with his forefinger. "'What date?' Lady Ansley Seaton cried out. It was forbidden to speak to the seeress in the midst of a vision, but Constance forgot in the strain of her excitement. The countess gave a gasp, fell back in her chair, and put her hands over her eyes. "'Oh!' she stammered, as though she awoke from sleep. "'How my head aches! It is all gone!' "'I'm so sorry,' Constance apologized. "'It began to seem so real. "'I thought I was in that room with you. "'You are unaccountable. "'You couldn't know what happened. "'Yet you have been seeing the thief "'who stole our silver last night "'and the Nelson Smith's jewelry, "'but no jewelry of ours. "'That is the strange part of the affair, "'for I have a few things I adore, "'and they would have been easy to find. "'You didn't even know we had been robbed, did you?' "'No, of course not,' said the Countess.' "'I am sorry. Was it in the papers? "'It will be this evening, and tomorrow morning. "'But the police must hear about this vision of yours, "'the vision of the man with the latch-key. "'It may help them.' "'You must not tell the police,' Madalena said. "'I have warned you all, "'that if you talk too much about me and my crystal, "'the police might hear and take notice. "'There are such stupid laws in England. 
I may be doing something against them. If you or Lord Ansley Seaton speak of me to the police, I will go away, and you will never hear more of my visions, as you call them, in future, unless you promise that you will let the police find the thieves in their own way, without dragging me in. I shall be so unnerved that my eyes will be darkened. Oh, I promise, if you feel so strongly about it, said Constance, I didn't realize that it might do you harm to be mentioned to the police. She wished very much to have Madalena go on looking in the crystal. She had been excited, carried out of herself for a few minutes, but she had not heard what she had come to hear, why she had been spared the loss of her personal treasures. The desired promise hurriedly made, the countess gave her attention once more to the crystal. For a time she could see nothing. The mysterious current had been severed by the diversion, and had slowly to be rewoven by the seeress's will. I can see only dimly, Madalena said. It was clear before. I cannot tell you why the things you care for were left. Something new is coming. It seems that this time I am looking ahead, into the future. The picture is blurred, like a badly developed photograph. The thing I see has still to materialize. Where? whispered Constance, thrilled by the thought that some event on its way to her down the unknown path of futurity was casting a shadow into the crystal. Where? I see a beautiful room. There are a number of people there, men and women. You are with them, and Lord Ansley Seaton, and Nelson Smith, and your cousin Anne. I know most of the faces, not all. Everyone is excited. Something has happened. They are talking it over. Now I see the room more clearly. It is as if a light were turned on in the crystal. Oh, it is what you call the Chinese drawing-room at Valley House. I know why the room lights up, and why I see everything so much more clearly. It is because I myself am coming into the picture. The people want me to tell them the meaning of the thing that has happened. It seems that I know about it. I do not hesitate to answer. It must be that I have been consulting the crystal, for I seem sure of what I say to them. I point toward the door. Or is it at something on the wall? Or is it a person? Ah, the picture is gone from the crystal. How irritating, cried Lady Ansley Seaton, who felt that supernatural forces ought to be subject to her convenience. Can't you make it come back if you concentrate? Madalena shook her head. No, it will not come back, I am sure of that, because when the crystal clouds as if milk were pouring into it, I know that I shall never see the same picture again. Whether it is a cross-current in myself or the crystal, I cannot tell, but it amounts to the same thing. I am sorry, it is useless to try any more. Shall we go to the other room and have tea? Constance did not persist, as she wished to do. She had to take the Countess's word that further effort would be useless, but she felt thwarted, as if the curtain had fallen by mistake in the middle of an act, and the characters on the stage had availed themselves of the chance to go home. It was vexatious enough that Madalena had not been able to explain the mystery of last night, but this was ten times more annoying. "'Am I not to know the end of the act?' she asked, as her hostess poured tea. The latter shrugged her shoulders, as if to shake off responsibility. "'Ah, I cannot tell. Perhaps if—' She stopped and handed her guest a cup. "'Perhaps if what?' "'Oh, nothing,' Madalena tasted her own tea and put in more cream. "'Do tell me what you are going to say, dear Countess, unless you want me to die of curiosity.' "'I should be sorry to have you do that,' smiled Madalena. 
"'But if I said what I was going to say, you might misunderstand. "'You might think—I was asking for an invitation.' "'Instantly Constance's mind unveiled the other's meaning. "'There was to be an Easter party at Valley House, a very smart party. "'The Countess de Santiago wished to be a member of it. "'Lady Ansley Seaton, shrewd as she was, "'had a vein of superstition running through her nature.' and though one side of that nature said that the scene with the crystal had been arranged for this end, the other side held its belief in the vision. "'You mean,' she said, "'that if you should be at Valley House when the thing happens, and we are puzzled and upset about it, you might be able to help?' "'The fancy passed through my head. It was the picture in the crystal suggested it,' Madalena explained. "'Do have an eclair.' Face and voice expressed indifference— but Constance knew that the other had set her heart on being at Valley House for Easter, and there was really no visible reason why she shouldn't be there. People liked her well enough. She was never a bore. "'Well, you must be in at the death with the rest of us,' Lady Ansley Seaton assured her. "'Of course, though it's my house, this Easter party is practically the Nelson Smith's affair. You know what poverty-stricken wretches we are. They are paying all expenses and taking the servants.' "'so I suppose I am bound to go through the form of consulting Anne "'before I ask even you. "'Still,' Madalena's eyes flamed. "'Consult your cousin's husband,' she said. "'It is only he who counts. "'As a favor to me, speak to him.' "'Constance smiled at the other over her teacup with a narrowed gaze. "'Why shouldn't I speak to them together? "'Because I want to know what to think. "'If he says no, it will be a test.' "'Very well, so be it,' said Constance, making light of what she knew was somehow serious. "'I'll tackle Nelson alone without Anne. "'That is all I want. "'And if I am asked to be of your party, I think—I can't tell why, but I feel it strongly—that everybody may have some reason for being glad.' It seemed unlikely that there would be a chance for a talk that evening, as Nelson Smith was dining at one of the clubs he had joined— the other three members of the household were to have a hasty dinner and go to the first performance of a new play, a play in which Knight was not interested. Afterward they expected to sup at the Savoy with the friend who had asked them to her box at the theater, but the box was empty save for themselves. While they wondered, a messenger brought a note of regret. Sudden illness had kept their would-be hostess in her room. Without her the supper was considered not worth while. The play had run late, and the trio voted for home and bed. "'If Nelson has come, I'll try and have a word with him tonight, after all,' thought Constance, "'provided I can keep my promise by getting Anne out of the way. "'Then I can phone to Madalena early in the morning, yes or no, and put her out of her suspense. "'No such luck, though, as that he will have got back from his club. "'He had got back, however. "'The entrance hall was in twilight.' when Dick Ansley Seaton let them into the house with his latch-key, for all the electric lights save one were turned off. That one was shaded with red silk, and in the ruddy glow it was easy to see the line of light under the door of the den. Ansley noticed it, but made no comment. Knight never asked her to join him in the den, but alluded to it as an untidy place, a mere workroom which he kept littered with papers, and only the new butler, Charrington was allowed to straighten its disorder. This, of course, was not Butler's business, but Knight said the footmen were stupid, and Charrington had been persuaded or bribed into performing the duty. 
Ansley's life of suppression had made her shy of putting herself forward, and though Knight had never told her that she would be a disturbing element in the den, his silence had bolted the door for her. Constance, however, was not so fastidious. "'Oh, look,' she said, before Dick had time to switch on another light. "'Nelson's got tired of his club and come home.' As she spoke, almost as if she had willed it, the door opened, but it was not Knight who came out. It was the younger Charrington, the chauffeur, called Char, to distinguish him from his solemn elder brother, the butler. The red-haired, red-faced, black-eyed young man stopped suddenly at the sight of the newcomers. He had evidently expected to find the hall untenanted. Taking up his stand before the door, he barred the way with his tall, liveried figure, and it struck Constance that he looked aggressive, as if, had he dared, he would have shut the door again almost in her face. "'I beg your pardon, madame,' he said in so loud a voice that it was like a warning to his master that an intruder might be expected. It occurred to her also, for the first time, that his accent sounded rather American, and he had forgotten to address her as my lady. This was odd, for his brother was the most typical English butler imaginable, as Nelson had remarked soon after the two servants had been engaged. She stared, surprised, but Char still kept the door until his master showed himself in the lighted aperture. Then the chauffeur, saluting courteously, stepped aside. Funny that he should be here, thought Constance. She might have been malicious enough to imagine that Nelson Smith had drunk too heavily at his club, and had been helped into the house by Char, who wished to protect him until the last, but he was unmistakably his usual self, cool and more than ordinarily alert. "'Oh, how do you do?' he exclaimed. "'I heard Char say, "'Madam,' and thought it was Anita at the door. "'No, she has gone upstairs,' explained Lady Ansley Seaton. "'So has Dick. I alone had courage to linger. "'I feel like Fatima, with the blood-stained key in Bluebeard's house. "'You are such a bear about this, Dan. "'You really are, you know.' "'I didn't expect you three so soon,' said Knight calmly. "'If I'd known you had a curiosity to see Bluebeard's chamber, "'I'd have had it smartened up. "'As it is, I shouldn't dare let you peep. "'You, the mistress of the house before we took it over, "'would be critical of the state I delight to keep it in. "'Untidiness is my one fault.' "'I'll put off the visit till a more propitious hour,' Constance reassured him, "'if you'll spare me a moment in the hall.' "'It's only a word. About Madalena. She has asked me to call her that.' "'The Countess de Santiago?' Knight questioned, smiling. He closed the door of the den and came out into the hall, turning on still another of the lights. "'Yes, I've been to see her today. Will you believe it? She saw the whole affair of last night in her crystal, and the thief and everything. Oh, indeed, did she? How intelligent! But she says we mustn't mention her name to the police.' She'd be lumped with common or garden palmist and fortune-tellers, I suppose. Yes, that's what she fears, but she wants to be in our Devonshire house-party at Easter, to save us from something. Knight looked interested. Save us from what? She couldn't see it distinctly in the crystal. He laughed. She could see distinctly that she wanted to be there. Well, we hadn't thought of having her. She seemed out of the picture with the lot who are coming. The Duchess of Peebles, for instance— but we'll think it over. Why don't you ask Anita? It occurs to me that she is the one to be consulted. Now was the moment for Madalena's test. 
The Countess wished me to speak to you alone, and let you decide, probably because you're such an old friend. I think she feels that Anita doesn't care for her. Knight's face hardened. She gave you that impression, did she? Yet, thinking Anita doesn't like her, and she's nearly right, she wants to come all the same, she wants to presume on my, er, friendship to force herself on my wife. Jove! I guess that's a little too strong for me. It's time we showed the fair Madalena her place, don't you think so, Lady A? What precisely is her place? Connie laughed. Well, she seems determined to push herself into the foreground. My idea is that what artists call middle distance is better suited to her coloring. Seriously, I resent her putting you up to appeal to me over Anita's head. I'm not taking any. Please tell her, or write, or phone, or whatever you've arranged to do, that we're both sorry, say both, please, that we don't feel justified in persuading you to add her to the list of guests at this time, as Valley House will be full up. She will be hurt, objected Constance. I'm inclined to think she deserves to be hurt. Oh, well, if you've made up your mind, but she's a charming woman, of course. Still, I shouldn't wonder if there's something of the tigress in her, and she could give a nasty dig. Let her try, said Knight. In the morning, Constance telephoned to the flat in Cadogan Gardens. She had not long to wait for an answer to her call. The Countess was evidently expecting to hear from her early in the day. He wasn't in the right mood, I'm afraid, when I spoke to him, Connie temporized. He seemed to resent your wish to, to, as he expressed it, get at him over Anne's head. Now that is what I wanted to be sure of, Madalena answered. Now I know. End of chapter 14